Chapters 1 through 10 of Against Celsus, Book 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by David Ronald. Against Celsus, Book 3, by Origin of Alexandria. Translated by Frederick Crombie. Chapters 1 through 10. In the first book of our answer to the work of Celsus, who had boastfully entitled the treatise which he had composed against us a true discourse, we have gone through, as you enjoined, my faithful Ambrosius, to the best of our ability, his preface, and the parts immediately following it, testing each one of his assertions as we went along, until we finish with the tirade of this Jew of his, feigned to have been delivered against Jesus. And in the second book we met, as we best could, all the charges contained in the invective of the said Jew, which were leveled at us who are believers in God through Christ. And now we enter upon this third division of our discourse, in which our object is to refute the allegations which he makes in his own person. He gives it as his opinion that, quote, the controversy between Jews and Christians is a most foolish one, end quote, and asserts that, quote, the discussions which we have with each other regarding Christ differ in no respect from what is called in the proverb a fight about the shadow of an ass, end quote, and thinks that, quote, there is nothing of importance in the investigations of the Jews and Christians, for both believe that it was predicted by the divine spirit that one was to come as a savior to the human race but do not yet agree on the point whether the person predicted has actually come or not. End quote. For we Christians indeed have believed in Jesus as he who came according to the predictions of the prophets. But the majority of the Jews are so far from believing in him that those of them who lived at the time of his coming conspired against him, and those of the present day approving of what the Jews of former times dared to do against him, speak evil of him, asserting that it was by means of sorcery that he passed himself off for him who was predicted by the prophets as the one who was to come, and who was called, agreeably to the traditions of the Jews, the Christ. But let Celsus and those who is sent to his charges tell us whether it is at all like, quote, an ass's shadow, end quote, that the Jewish prophets should have predicted the birthplace of him who was to be the ruler of those who had lived righteous lives and who are called the heritage of God, and that Emmanuel should be conceived by a virgin, and that such signs and wonders should be performed by him who was the subject of prophecy, and that his word should have such speedy course that the voice of his apostles should go forth into all the earth, and that he should undergo certain sufferings after his condemnation by the Jews, and that he should rise again from the dead. For was it by chance that the prophets made these announcements, with no persuasion of their truth in their minds, moving them not only to speak, but to deem their announcements worthy of being committed to writing? And did so great a nation as that of the Jews, who had long ago received a country of their own wherein to dwell, recognize certain men as prophets, and reject others as utterers of false predictions, without any conviction of the soundness of the distinction? 
and was there no motive which induced them to class with the books of moses which were held as sacred the words of those persons who were afterwards deemed to be prophets and can those who charge the jews and christians with folly show us how the jewish nation could have continued to subsist had there existed among them no promise of the knowledge of future events and how while each of the surrounding nations believed agreeably to their ancient institutions that they received oracles and predictions from those whom they accounted gods this people alone who were taught to view with contempt all those who were considered gods by the heathen as not being gods but demons according to the declaration of the prophets quote, for all the gods of the nations are demons end quote, had among them no one who professed to be a prophet and who could restrain such as from a desire to know the future were ready to desert to the demons of other nations judge then whether it were not a necessity that as the whole nation had been taught to despise the deities of other lands they should have had an abundance of prophets who made known events which were of far greater importance in themselves and which surpassed the oracles of all other countries in the next place miracles were performed in all countries or at least in many of them as celsus himself admits instancing the case of esculapius who conferred benefits on many and who foretold future events to entire cities which were dedicated to him such as trica and epidaurus and cos and pergamus and along with esculapius he mentions aristes of proconesus and a certain plasmanian and cleomedes of astypalia but among the jews alone who say they are dedicated to the god of all things there was wrought no miracle or sign which might help to confirm their faith in the creator of all things and strengthen their hope of another and better life but how can they imagine such a state of things for they would immediately have gone over to the worship of those demons which gave oracles and performed cures and deserted the god who was believed as far as words went to assist them but who never manifested to them his visible presence but if this result has not taken place and if on the contrary they have suffered countless calamities rather than renounce judaism and their law and have been cruelly treated at one time in assyria at another in persia and at another under antiochus is it not in keeping with the probabilities of the case of those to suppose who do not yield their belief to their miraculous histories and prophecies that the events in question could not be inventions but that a certain divine spirit being in the holy souls of the prophets as of men who underwent any labor for the cause of virtue did move them to prophesy some things relating to their contemporaries and others to their posterity but chiefly regarding a certain personage who was to come as a savior to the human race and if the above be the state of the case how do jews and christians search after quote, the shadow of an ass end quote, in seeking to ascertain from those prophecies which they believe in common whether he who was foretold has come or has not yet arrived and is still an object of expectation but even suppose it be granted to celsus that it was not jesus who was announced by the prophets then 
even on such a hypothesis the investigation of the sense of the prophetic writings is no search after quote, the shadow of an ass end quote. if he who was spoken of can be clearly pointed out and it can be shown both what sort of person he was predicted to be and what he was to do and if possible when he was to arrive but in the preceding pages we have already spoken on the point of jesus being the individual who was foretold to be the christ quoting a few prophecies out of a larger number neither jews nor christians then are wrong in assuming that the prophet spoke under divine influence but they are in error who form erroneous opinions respecting him who was expected by the prophets to come and whose person and character were made known in their quote, true discourses end quote. immediately after these points celsus imagining that the jews are egyptians by descent and had abandoned egypt after revolting against the egyptian state and despising the customs of that people in matters of worship says that quote, they suffered from the adherents of jesus who believed in him as the christ the same treatment which they had inflicted upon the egyptians and that the cause which led to the new state of things in either instance was rebellion against the state end quote. now let us observe what celsus has here done the ancient egyptians after inflicting many cruelties upon the hebrew race who had settled in egypt owing to a famine which had broken out in judea suffered in consequence of their injustice to strangers and suppliants that punishment which divine providence had decreed was to fall on the whole nation for having combined against an entire people who had been their guests and who had done them no harm and after being smitten by plagues from god they allowed them with difficulty and after a brief period to go wherever they liked as being unjustly detained in slavery because then they were a selfish people who honored those who were in any degree related to them far more than they did strangers of better lives there is not an accusation which they have omitted to bring against moses and the hebrews not altogether denying indeed the miracles and wonders done by him but alleging that they were wrought by sorcery and not by divine power moses however not as a magician but as a devout man and one devoted to the god of all things and a partaker in the divine spirit both enacted laws for the hebrews according to the suggestions of the divinity and recorded events as they happened with perfect fidelity celsus therefore not investigating in a spirit of impartiality the facts which are related by the egyptians in one way and by the hebrews in another but being bewitched as it were in favor of the former accepted as true the statements of those who had oppressed the strangers and declared that the hebrews who had been unjustly treated had departed from egypt after revolting against the egyptians not observing how impossible it was for so great a multitude of rebellious egyptians to become a nation which dating its origin from the said revolt should change its language at the time of its rebellion so that those who up to that time made use of the egyptian tongue should completely adopt all at once the language of the hebrews let it be granted however according to his supposition that on abandoning egypt they did conceive a hatred also of their mother tongue 
How did it happen that after so doing, they did not rather adopt the Syrian or Phoenician language, instead of preferring the Hebrew, which is different from both? But reason seems to me to demonstrate that the statement is false, which makes those who were Egyptians by race to have revolted against Egyptians, and to have left the country, and to have proceeded to Palestine, and occupied the land now called Judea. For Hebrew was the language of their fathers before their descent into Egypt, and the Hebrew letters employed by Moses in writing those five books which are deemed sacred by the Jews were different from those of the Egyptians. In like manner, as the statement is false, quote, that the Hebrews, being originally Egyptians, dated the commencement of their political existence from the time of their rebellion, end quote, so also is this, quote, that in the days of Jesus, others who were Jews rebelled against the Jewish state and became his followers, end quote. For neither Celsus nor they who think with him are able to point out any act on the part of Christians which savors of rebellion. And yet, if a revolt had led to the formation of the Christian commonwealth so that it derived its existence in this way from that of the Jews, who were permitted to take up arms in defense of the members of their families and to slay their enemies, the Christian lawgiver would not have altogether forbidden the putting of men to death and yet, he nowhere teaches that it is right for his own disciples to offer violence to any one, however wicked. For he did not deem it, in keeping with such laws as his, which were derived from a divine source, to allow the killing of any individual whatever. Nor would the Christians, had they owed their origin to a rebellion, have adopted laws of so exceedingly mild a character as not to allow them, when it was their fate to be slain as sheep, on any occasion to resist their persecutors. And truly, if we look a little deeper into things, we may say regarding the exodus from Egypt that it is a miracle if a whole nation at once adopted the language called Hebrew, as if it had been a gift from heaven, when one of their own prophets said, quote, as they went forth from Egypt, they heard a language which they did not understand. End quote. In the following way, also, we may conclude that they who came out of Egypt with Moses were not Egyptians, for if they had been Egyptians, their names also would be Egyptian, because in every language the designations of persons and things are kindred to the language. But if it is certain, from the names being Hebrew, that the people were not Egyptians, and the scriptures are full of Hebrew names, and these bestowed, too, upon their children while they were in Egypt, it is clear that the Egyptian account is false, which asserts that they were Egyptians and went forth from Egypt with Moses. Now it is absolutely certain that, being descended, as the Mosaic history records, from Hebrew ancestors, they employed a language from which they also took the names which they conferred upon their children. But with regard to the Christians, because they were taught not to avenge themselves upon their enemies, and have thus observed laws of a mild and philanthropic character, and because they would not, although able, have made war even if they had received authority to do so, they have obtained this reward from God that he has always warred in their behalf and on certain occasions has restrained those who rose up against them and desired to destroy them. For in order to remind others that by seeing a few engaged in a struggle for their religion, they also might be better fitted to despise death 
some on special occasions and these individuals who can be easily numbered have endured death for the sake of christianity god not permitting the whole nation to be exterminated but desiring that it should continue and that the whole world should be filled with this salutary and religious doctrine and again on the other hand that those who were of weaker minds might recover their courage and rise superior to the thought of death god interposed his providence on behalf of believers dispersing by an act of his will alone all the conspiracies formed against them so that neither kings nor rulers nor the populace might be able to rage against them beyond a certain point such then is our answer to the assertions of celsus quote, that a revolt was the original commencement of the ancient jewish state and subsequently of christianity End quote. but since he is manifestly guilty of falsehood in the statements which follow let us examine his assertion when he says quote, if all men wished to become christians the latter would not desire such a result End quote. now that the above statement is false is clear from this that christians do not neglect as far as in them lies to take measures to disseminate their doctrine throughout the whole world some of them accordingly have made it their business to itinerate not only through cities but even villages and country houses that they might make converts to god and no one would maintain that they did this for the sake of gain when sometimes they would not accept even necessary sustenance or if at any time they were pressed by a necessity of this sort were contented with the mere supply of their wants although many were willing to share their abundance with them and to bestow help upon them far above their need at the present day indeed when owing to the multitude of christian believers not only rich men but persons of rank and delicate and high-born ladies receive the teachers of christianity some perhaps will dare to say that it is for the sake of a little glory that certain individuals assume the office of christian instructors it is impossible however rationally to entertain such a suspicion with respect to christianity in its beginnings when the danger incurred especially by its teachers was great while at the present day the discredit attaching to it among the rest of mankind is greater than any supposed honor enjoyed among those who hold the same belief especially when such honor is not shared by all it is false then from the very nature of the case to say that quote, if all men wish to become christians the latter would not desire such a result End quote. but observe what he alleges as a proof of his statement quote, christians at first were few in number and held the same opinions but when they grew to be a great multitude they were divided and separated each wishing to have his own individual party for this was their object from the beginning End quote. that christians at first were few in number in comparison with the multitudes who subsequently became christian is undoubted yet all things considered they were not so very few for what stirred up the envy of the jews against jesus and aroused them to conspire against him was the great number of those who followed him into the wilderness five thousand men on one occasion and four thousand on another having attended him thither without including the women and children for such was the charm of jesus's words that not only were men willing to follow him to the wilderness but women also forgetting the weakness of their sex and a regard for outward propriety 
and thus following their teacher into desert places children too who are altogether unaffected by such emotions either following their parents or perhaps attracted also by his divinity in order that it might be implanted within them became his followers along with their parents but let it be granted that christians were few in number at the beginning how does that help to prove that christians would be unwilling to make all men believe the doctrine of the gospel end of chapters one through ten of against celsus book three by origin read by david ronald